So did all of you, uh, did all of you sleep well last night? Yeah. You all, all feel refreshed this morning? No? What, no, I see a lot of no's. What, well, if not, that's okay. You may be uh, one of the 60% of Americans who's not getting the sleep that they need. And, and there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. But uh, increasingly, studies seem to be showing that it's uh, our, our smartphones uh, and our tablets that may be the major culprit. Uh, in fact, I just read an article, uh, a study, that found that some people are actually texting in their sleep. You believe that? You believe that? Apparently, this is, this is apparently true. Apparently, they can subconsciously hear a text come in, and they're so programmed uh, to respond to it that they check it and answer it, even though they're not actually awake. And I can only imagine what some of those conversations must look like, right? <laughs> now, now, thankfully, uh, when it comes to technology, you can, uh, you can discipline yourself to kind of unplug and, and mute all of your gadgets so they don't keep you up. But, you know, just doing that doesn't cure the sleep problem if the reason that you're not getting the rest you need is a nagging worry or family conflicts or financial difficulties or health problems. But if that's happening in your life right now, take heart because the message of our text today is one of comfort. Comfort in the midst of adversity and of real peace in spite of genuine pain. It's a message from the pen of one of Israel's greatest kings, King David, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit shares uh, his secret with us this morning uh, as to how he is able to rest no matter what difficulties he's facing, and he could do that because of his confidence in the unchanging God that he served. And so I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, and I encourage you to bring them so you can kind of follow along and, uh, and, and read on your own, but, uh, and follow along. This is uh, Psalm 3, beginning in verse 1, and it's entitled, A Psalm of David When He Fled from Absalom His Son. So here now the words of the true and living God. He writes, O Lord, how many are my foes, Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And then he makes a little footnote, Selah, which means stop and think about that. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Stop and think about that. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Rise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all of my enemies on the jaw, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Stop and think about that. You may have... Notice that today's psalm starts out with a little introductory title. It's actually known as a superscription. and It is basically the information that comes uh, right after the psalm number, but before the very first verse, just like we read here in Psalm 3, when it said, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Now remember, we're on this long extended look of the psalm, so you know what we're going to be talking about for the next three years, Lord willing. right? <laughs> but... Uh, Of the 150 psalms in the Old Testament, 34 of them have no introduction, but 116 of them do. Uh, And of those 116, 100 of them give us the name of the author, or in some cases the name of the person that it was written uh, to or that it was written for. 
Uh, and many of them give us uh, information on the original tune or the type of instrument it was written for. You know, but the one today is especially intriguing because it's not only the first one we encounter on our journey through the book of Psalms, but because it sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? Right? When it says, this is a Psalm of David, concerns a time when he fled from his son. So, you know, even before we read this Psalm, your first thought is likely, well, you know, what's that all about? Because you're like, David, we know, we know King David. Uh, Absalom, uh, not so much. And, and what's this about David being on the run from him, from, from one of his kids? Well, the, the episode that this is referring to in David's life is found in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And even if you don't know uh, all of David's life story, we can tell that by this psalm's superscription that David is up against real trouble that's threatened David's spiritual peace and evidently his physical safety when he wrote it. And just to kind of give you the background here, Second uh, Samuel tells us of the time that David was up against an armed rebellion led by his own son, his son named Absalom. Now for you parents out there, you, you probably remember how dealing with maybe a kid who breaks curfew or uh, who gets sent to the principal's office on a regular basis can, can cause you some upset. Maybe a lot of sleepless nights. That ever happened with anybody? Is anybody the cause of that? Oh, I see lots of hands back there. <laughs> right? Now, at least when it happened, though, you usually got to spend those restless nights in your own bed, right? But not so in today's account, because the rebellious son Absalom in today's text forced his aging father not just to vacate his bed, but to flee the palace and to spend his nights on the run, uh, not moving from places like Holiday Inn to Motel 6, but from places to places around in the desert. And all of the Absalom that means a father's peace. Right? But you know, it wasn't just Absalom who was after David. Uh, many of David's former advisors had now turned against him and were actually working to kill him. And and if all of that wasn't desperate and distressing enough, still other people added to David's misery because uh, emboldened now by this palace coup, people like a man named Shimi cursed David and threw stones at him as he fled Jerusalem. And so it's no wonder that David wrote in our text, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of You know, I think it's especially that last thought which had the greatest potential of robbing David of his peace because it would have had to kind of make David pause and think, had God abandoned him? Was he beyond the mercy of the Almighty? You know, he knew that's what he deserved. After all, uh, he'd been guilty of turning his back on God when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband Uriah. Right? You don't get much worse than that. Now, now, by this time, of course, that had been years ago, but had God's justice finally caught up with him? And you know, like David, our past sins too often have a way of coming back and nipping at our heels like a yappy little dog that just won't leave us alone, don't they? And you know, the most common reason that happens is when the enemy wants to hinder us from being of use in the kingdom of God. When he wants to to keep us so focused on our past mistakes and our old sins that have already been forgiven that we take our eyes off of Christ and of His mercy and off of His cross and off of the work that He still has for us to do. 
But thankfully, that didn't happen to David. That didn't happen here with David because that isn't how David responded to his troubles, was it? Instead, he confessed, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me. He answered me from his holy hill. You see, in spite of all of his past sins and present imperfections, David was still confident that God's love for him hadn't wavered. And he knew, as we should, that when the Lord deals with problem areas in our life, like maybe David's very serious family issues, right? That it's always for our profit and not punishment, just for punishment's sake. And we shouldn't see it as God's rejection because, brothers and sisters, today's psalm and many, many places in Scripture confirm that for the genuine child of God, that he only convicts us of our sin. He never condemns us for them. That's why Romans 8 says, So now... There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You know, the Bible tells us that the way the Lord convicts a believer is through the inner ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's important for those of us who are born-again Christians to know that because there's a huge difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy of our faith. It's a huge difference. Because it can affect how we approach everyday life. You see, on the one hand, the Holy Spirit works to convict us, to push us away from the ensnarement of sin and towards God in freedom. But the condemning spirit of the enemy always works to push us away from God. And it's done with shame and blame and guilt, either from ourselves or through others so that we are more prone in hopelessness just to continue to do the things we shouldn't be doing anymore. And King David knew that. And he knew that God had promised to always be with him. So while David's enemies, whether from their own human motives or demonic influence, thought he was vulnerable to attack, David pictured God as his shield. David pictured him as a shield. Even though everyone around him was certain that his life would end in shame. David was confident that God would bestow grace on him and lift him up out of this mess for David's good and to bring God glory. He said, you, O Lord, are my glory and the lifter of my head. You see, David recognized it wasn't his own inherent virtue or uh, his sinless perfection that elicited God's favor. It was simply God's unmerited grace. And even though David's enemies were sure that God would ignore his prayers... You know what? David just cried out to God anyway, completely certain of his answer and of his loving support. And where did he say that help would come from? He said, God answered me from his holy hill. And David was thinking here of uh, that hill in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant was, that visible picture of God's abiding presence. So although Absalom may have thought that he was king of the hill because that's also where the royal palace was that he uh, was occupying. Uh, you know what? He was mistaken. Because if you remember from last week, uh, we read in Psalm 2 that even though the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me... <clears throat> I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You see, no matter uh, what else was happening, God was still firmly enthroned on Mount Zion, and 
everywhere else for that matter. And this same God was David's protector. But you know, there was another kind of answer from God's holy hill that David must have treasured even more. Uh, a visible reminder of divine pardon from God which was communicated almost as if by smoke signals. Because you see, the hill on which the Ark of the Covenant rested uh, was also where the altar of burnt offerings was located. The altar on which priests offered year-old lambs as sacrifices day and night. Sacrifices which God himself had commanded to show just how serious sin is. Because, brothers and sisters, sin always kills. Sin always kills either the one who committed it or a proper substitute. And by these offerings, God was at the same time expressing his love for sinners by pouring out his anger on a yearling lamb instead of on his wayward people. So even though David was on the run, he could look back toward Jerusalem and see the smoke from those sacrifices going up, knowing that God is a God who forgives sin. And because of that, David could see that what was happening to him was not evidence of God's displeasure, but was the actions of a loving father who was training his beloved son how to love and to trust him even more. And brothers and sisters, God still does that today. Not with the the blood of lambs, but with something even better, with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that took place in a sacrifice on Mount Calvary, right within sight of that altar. And yes, that happened 2,000 years ago, but when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, he was making clear that if you were in Christ, your bill of sin was paid in full, and praise God, so was mine. Now, that doesn't mean we won't face real trouble in life, because we will. And that trouble may even come from those who are closest to you, as King David uh, really found out firsthand, didn't he? But you know what? God is closer still. He's our shield. That's why you can rest no matter what trouble you face. And David lived that truth. He said, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. He said, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. All around. Because, you know, David was never the type to stick his head in the sand and just hope that all of his troubles would magically disappear. Second right? Samuel makes that clear. David... He actively gathered intelligence on Absalom's troop movements. He, he organized a counterattack. He used all of his military skill and planning. But when it came time to rest, he said he did so free of worry, mindful that the ultimate key to success was God's power and his promises and not David's own smarts or his strength. Because see, David lived in active concern, yes, but not in needless worry. Because he understood that, uh, as we talked about last week in Bible study, there's a huge difference between worry and concern. It's a huge difference between worry and concern. Let me give you a couple examples. When it comes to your health, concern makes you take care of your body, right? You get regular checkups, plenty of exercise. Uh, worry makes you wonder whether every minor symptom is the beginning of the end. Right? And it's basically the difference between whether every time you get a headache... Uh, do you take an aspirin or do you call the doctor to schedule a brain scan? Right? In areas of finance, do you uh, tithe and invest and try to stay out of debt or do you, uh, do you just drift along without a plan and then wring your hands every time a new bill comes in the mail? For those of us that have kids or if you live near your grandkids and help them with their homework, it would mean 
Uh, do we teach our kids to diligently study for an upcoming test with notes they faithfully took while they attentively listened to their teacher, right guys? So the night before the test, there's no reason to burn the midnight oil cramming for that upcoming exam, right? Now that's how God wants us to approach every important decision in life by preparing and planning, but then praying and trusting and knowing the results are really up to God. And knowing that whatever God allows will be exactly what we need. Right? That's why David said he wouldn't sweat it even if tens of thousands suddenly surrounded him. And so I want to encourage you that when life's worries start to rob you of restful peace, go, go back and, and read this Psalm 3 again. Go back and read it. And remember all that God has done in your life. And trust it as uh, Philippians 1.6 says, that God who began a good work in you will continue his work until it's finally finished in the day when Christ Jesus returns. When he returns to accomplish all that God promised from the beginning, setting up his kingdom and defeating the enemies of death and of the devil. That's why David said in the last two verses there, he said, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the jaw. You break the teeth of the wicked. Did you ever pray a prayer like that? Dear Lord, please punch so-and-so in the mouth today. <laughs> right? Did you ever pray? I hope you didn't. <laughs> you might have to have counseling after church. But, but before you think David was way out of line here, he was not uh, talking about men like his son Absalom who stole his throne or like Shimi who cursed David to his face and threw rocks at him and his men. Uh, in fact, if you go back and read the story, Second Samuel records that David begged his troops to be gentle with Absalom if they caught him. And Second Samuel 6 shed some light on David's feelings uh, about that man who uh, was kind of kicking him when, in when he was down. <clears throat> if you look in Second uh, Samuel, beginning in verse 5, uh, chapter 16, it says, David uh, came to Barim, a man came out of the villages cursing him. It was Shimi, the son of Gera, from the same clan as Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty men who surrounded him. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last, you'll taste some of your own medicine because you're a murderer. One of David's officers spoke up and said, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. And though King David said, If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? And then David said to all his servants, My own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I'm being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road, and Shimei kept pace with them on the nearby hillside, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. You see, David wasn't asking God to curse his earthly foes. He knew he was just an ordinary, flawed man just like they were. No, he was, he was praying that God would reach out and intervene on behalf of a bigger battle. And a battle with enemies that we still fight today, right? Three, three of them, actually. You know, traditionally, Christians have identified three uh, what we call enemies of our soul, and that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they are armed to the teeth in an effort to steal our joy and to keep our eyes focused on them instead of on God, who is our shield and defender. And, he's, and he tells us uh, in his word that those things 
This is at 1 Peter 5.8. He says, always prowl around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In another psalm, David compared the teeth of the wicked to the sharp teeth of a predator. And he goes on to describe it like a lion uh, or also like a snake. In fact, he says in Psalm 58.4, describes their venom like the venom of a serpent in its fangs. I don't know about you guys, but I hate snakes. And I kill every one of them I find. But if a snake didn't have fangs, would we still be afraid of it? Would we? Would you still jump every time you heard that little rattle from a rattlesnake? Or would you panic if one fastened itself onto your leg? Right? No, what would it do? Gum you to death? Right? But when David asked God to strike his enemies on the mouth, he was asking for God to disarm the dark forces of death and hell arrayed against him rather than the destruction of other human beings. And brothers and sisters, you and I can confidently pray that very same thing because the Bible says that you and I, who were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the evil rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He did it on Easter Sunday when Jesus rose again and when he came back to life and in the process crushed the serpent's head and smashed out the teeth of the grave. Now, now yes, of course, one day you and I are going to face death. But in Christ, we can have assurance that it has no power to permanently hurt us. And one commentator said of this, Tom, he said, uh, if death has been so vanquished and if Jesus has taken away our sins so that we don't need to fear an eternity in hell, is there anything left for us to be afraid of? Right? Is there anything left for us to be afraid of? So let me close by asking you, what kept you awake last night? Or what threatens to overwhelm you today? You know, whatever it is, we have that same source of calm that David had, and more so, because we have Jesus Christ who delivered a death blow to the enemy by willingly allowing himself to be struck and taunted and rejected and ultimately to be killed by the hands of his enemies by being nailed to a Roman cross. All according to the prearranged plan of a loving God who pulled the greatest victory from what looked like the jaws of defeat. That's our hope. That's our confidence that no matter what we face, not a single thing can reach us that has not been filtered through the hands of the sovereign will of God. So, so don't let Satan make you think that God doesn't really care about you. Even though 10,000 things may be staring you down and trying to frighten you today. Sleep may elude you, but peace won't. God has spoken from his holy hill. You are a forgiven child of God. Christ is your shield. Brothers and sisters, salvation belongs to the Lord. And his blessings are on his people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, uh, I know that some of us here today are... Uh, in our midst who feel like the same depths described in this psalm, Lord, day after day, I know they struggle with failing health, damaged relationships, sinful habits that uh, they're unable to break. And so, Lord, look with kindness on your people. And, uh, Father, just lend your ears to our prayers today, reminding us this morning that uh, with you there is hope and forgiveness and plentiful redemption as your Holy Spirit preaches uh, the gospel to our hearts that we might find our help in the cross as the ultimate demonstration of your love and care for us through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.